23,000 breaths a day. 23,000 breaths a day. That's what the average human being breathes in a 24-hour period. 23,000 times where we inhale oxygen and we exhale carbon dioxide. And you think about the scientific precision of how God put that together to bring us life. It, It helps us to marvel in the creation of who God is and how powerful he is 23,000 times a day. Uh, a friend of mine, Jason Joling, uh, who is the division chief of EMS in Wisconsin Rapids Fire Department, told me a story about when he trains paramedics in his, his classes that he gives. And he says he, when he wants to kind of get the point home of what it's like for someone who has an asthma attack waiting for the ambulance to come and waiting for assistance to help, he says he takes one of these coffee straws that you get, and he has them put it in their mouth, close their nose, and just breathe through this coffee straw. Ever since he told me that, when I see these things, I usually grab one and try it again and again and again. I don't know why, I'm just kind of that way. And there's probably going to be 20 of you after service in the cafe grabbing one of these and trying it. But when you think about how difficult that is, and you really imagine, like, that's the reality, it gets intense after a while. And it helps you understand the hope and the relief that must come to a patient in that place once help arrives to allow them to have more oxygen so that they could live. We are in a series called True Disciple, and what I want to do today is look at the spiritual oxygen of a Christian. Look at what brings a Christian to life but then also what sustains them and keeps them going to live the Christian life. And that spiritual oxygen I want to talk about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel, Christianity does not exist. The gospel of Jesus Christ is at the heart of Christianity. It's what separates Christianity from every other religion. It's what separates Jesus from all else. The fact that he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, The gospel of Jesus Christ is the life, breath, oxygen for the Christian because it takes people from death to life. We are born, the Bible says, spiritually dead. We are born dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, and it takes power to move a human being from spiritual death to spiritual life, and that power is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel means good news. And the reason is good news is because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. The problem is this that God is holy and He's just, but I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner not just in the ways that I live my life and the things I do, but I'm a sinner in my thoughts and how. Uh, this nature inside of me wants to rebel against God. So God is holy and I'm a sinner. When I die, that means I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be judged. All of us, when we die, will stand before God and we will be judged. But there's a question of what criteria I will be judged by. There's only two options. I'll either be judged by my own goodness and my own righteousness, which is not enough, to get into heaven. No human being's own righteousness and own goodness is enough to get into heaven. Or I'll be judged by the goodness and the righteousness of another. 
One by the name of Jesus Christ who came to earth, lived the perfect life for me, went to the cross. You see, you cannot do enough good things to earn your favor to heaven. There's not enough good action in the capacity of a human being to earn the right of heaven all on their own. You will not stand if you stand before God in judgment only in your own goodness and righteousness. All of us need the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ if we're going to make it to heaven. And so Jesus went to the cross. He took on your sin and my sin. And in that moment on the cross, God the Father poured out his punishment, his wrath for the sin of the world onto his son, Jesus Christ. And now he gives us this amazing offer that if we come before him and repent, And we say, God, I want to live for you. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I know who you are. I know what you've done. Will you come into my life today? In that moment, you are changed. That's the gospel. It changes you to the place where now when you stand before God, you stand not in your own goodness and your own righteousness. You stand in the perfect goodness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way you get to heaven. It's the only way. The gospel is the glorious good news. And this morning I want to talk about not only living the gospel, but I want to talk about guarding the gospel. I want to talk about defending the gospel. I want to talk about us as Christians knowing the gospel because it's the very life for the Christian. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter is... Towards the end, if you start paging through and going to the right, you'll hit 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, James, and 1 Peter, and then check this out. You're not going to believe it. If you get to 2 Peter, it means you've gone too far. You've got to go back to 1 Peter. See how that works? Uh, I'll be on page 1076 in the Worship Center Bible if you're using that. And in this text, we're going to see what it means to live the gospel. I'm going to be focusing mostly on 1 Peter 3, verse 15, but I want to read this whole context of what this verse is in. So I'm going to be reading uh, verses 8 all the way through 18 so that we get an idea of what's going on here. 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 to 18. This is God's word to us this morning at Crossview Church. Finally, All of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But to the face of the Lord, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. I want to focus on verse 15 in that context that I just read. And the first thing I want to do in verse 15 is sentences in the Bible are put together and you look at the original language. There's a command at times that stands out. And there's a command that stands out in 1 Peter chapter 3.15. And the command in the English words are this, to give a defense It says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense. That's the Greek word apologia. It's where we get the Christian practice and study known as apologetics. It doesn't mean we go around apologizing to everybody. What it means is we have a defense. The Greek word apologia means a prepared word. We have a prepared word. It's a courtroom term. It's a courtroom term that a defense attorney would take up. You want your defense attorney to have a strong apologia. You don't want them to wing it. You want them to have a prepared defense for you. And what this word is saying is that we as Christians need to have a reasoned argument, a prepared defense for the hope that is in us, this gospel. We have to be able to give a defense for this gospel. And this command is surrounded by some questions we're going to look at in a second. However, the foundation for this command is found right before it in verse 15. It says, In your hearts regard Christ as holy. In your hearts regard Christ as holy. Before we defend anything, before we put together an argument, before we think through, we are to live our lives in the fact that Jesus Christ is holy and that he is set apart. That's what holy means, to be set apart. And the verse is written in a way where it could be said that we are to make Jesus holy. How would we do that? That almost sounds blasphemous. Isn't Jesus holy and other stuff? How would we make him holy? And the idea is that we are to live our lives in the fact that Jesus Christ is holy. And as we live our lives in the fact that Jesus Christ is holy, we make him holy by honoring him. We make him holy in our hearts and in our lives by paying attention to what he says, by honoring what he says and, and getting it inside of us. Why is this important? Because we have to realize that Peter, when he wrote this letter, was writing to a group of Christians in first century Rome who were in a really, really desperate place. And if you looked at the world at that time, it looked like Christianity was losing by a long shot. The people who said, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, those people were persecuted, they were often tortured, and they are often put in prison. You were, more li- you were more likely, if you declared yourself a Christian, to be put in prison than to hold a place of honor in the community. It was a difficult, difficult time. 
And if you looked only at the world around you, and that was your only feedback of information, just what you see with your human eyes, you would probably say this Christianity is a sham, that God doesn't take care of his people. But see, to be true disciples, we have to look at the world we're really called to, which is not the world in front of us, but another world that we cannot see with human eyes. It's the world known as the kingdom of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us entrance into the kingdom of God and then allows us to see life through the vision of eternity. Because when you look through our own eyes, it could look like Christianity is losing. And when we get caught up in the here and now, Christians often experience anxiety and fear and want to pull away because they're worried and they get paralyzed and they move into this Christian crisis, losing all confidence in the gospel and God itself because it feels like as they look with their own eyes that the Christian, uh, Christianity is losing. But nothing could be further from the truth. And you know why? Because the emperor is not Lord. Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all the universe. And Jesus Christ has every single thing under his control. No matter what happens in this world, God never gives up his control to someone else. God is in control of everything that is going on. And when we think about God, we need to remember he is holy. He is in charge and in control of it all. This is the anchor. This is the foundation of the gospel. We can't shrink back. And before I get to the other parts of this verse, I just want to clarify something. This defending of the gospel, this isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for Bible experts. This isn't just for theologians and people who teach in seminaries and universities. This defending of the gospel that Peter commands to hear is for every single person who calls themselves a Christian, who says they're a follower of Jesus Christ. The moment you do that, you are called to defend and live the gospel of Jesus Christ, to have a reason. You are called to speak a prepared word on why you live the way you live. And so with that command before us, let's look at what Peter writes about this. He gives us the when, the who, the what, the how, and the why. All in this verse. The when, the who, the what, the how, and the why. So let's start with the when. When are we supposed to give a defense? When are we supposed to defend this gospel? Look at verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts... Regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time. Any time. At any time, we must always be prepared to give a defense for the gospel. We must always be ready. There was a pastor named Francis Grimke who was born a slave in 1850. He went to Lincoln University, then he went on to Princeton Seminary, and this was back when Princeton Seminary was a beacon for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were strong biblically. They taught the gospel to their seminary students really, really well. Pastor Grimpty graduated from seminary. He was a pastor in Washington, D.C. and some churches in Florida, and he was strong in his Christian belief. He knew the gospel well. And in the 1920s, Christianity was under attack in the United States. 
Some would say much like it is today, although I think then it was probably even a little worse. People were trying to get God out of everything. It was a time where churches were beginning to fold and shut their doors. People were telling churches, stop talking about things like the gospel. Stop talking about sin. Stop talking about hell. Just start talking about nice things and tell loving stories. And many bit into that apple. And when they did, churches started closing left and right. The culture was trying to get God out of everything. And in this most oppressive moment in the culture, Pastor Francis Grimke never let go of the gospel. He was persecuted at times. He was cut down, but he never let go of the gospel. And in the most impressive moment of the persecution, he said this, all of that has not affected me in the least, nor has it affected my perfect trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why he could say that? Because he was prepared. Because he knew the gospel well. He knew that when the lies of the culture would come, he knew the gospel so well, he knew what was truth and what was lie. And he said, I'm able to live in this truth. He was ready when the challenges came. He allowed God's word to speak louder than the culture, no matter how loud the culture screamed and yelled. As Christians, we have to be ready. Always. Anytime. We have to be ready. We have to know why we believe and what we believe. Not just pastors. Christians. We need to be ready. So when are we ready? Anytime. Who do we defend this gospel to? Who are we supposed to give a defense to? Look at verse 15 again. But in your hearts regard Christ as Lord as holy, ready any time to give a defense to anyone. We're supposed to give a defense to anyone, even those who hate us, even those who disagree with us, even those who think we're crazy, even those who intimidate us, anyone. What about the one that is really, really nice, but they just don't believe in God, but they're just really great people? Anyone. We have to be able to give a defense to anyone. We have to be ready to defend, to guard, and protect, and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter who we speak to or interact with. Peter was clear. He meant anyone when he wrote anyone. I talked about a pastor and gave an example of a pastor. Now I'm going to give an example of someone who was a Christian, who was an example, who wasn't a pastor. There was a man in the mid-1500s. His name was Dirk Willems. And Dirk Willems grew up in the Netherlands. And he was probably one of the first evangelicals. And what I mean by that is what we are, that's what our denomination is, and the kind of church we are. We're an evangelical church, and a real simple definition of evangelicalism is three things. One, you believe the only way to get to heaven is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about now. Two, you believe the Bible is authoritative and is God's word. And three, you believe this message about how you get to heaven should be proclaimed so others can know it and hear it and understand. Those are kind of the three tenets of evangelicalism. And this guy, Dirk Willems, was one of the first one of those in Europe, because this thing called the Reformation was starting, where people were starting to say, we need to go back to the Bible and not 
religious tradition, and we need to look at what the Bible says. And when they did, the gospel came alive, and they began to live it and teach it. However, at that time, the Roman Catholic Church didn't like that, and they were so hostile to the evangelical church to the point of persecution, torture, and death. And so this man, Dirk Willems, was captured by the Roman Catholic Church and put into prison for what he believed, as was his family. And there was a moment in January where he decided in 1569 that he had an opportunity to escape this prison, and he made a run for it. And he took off, and he's running to escape this prison, and the guards are chasing him. And as he's running and chasing, he goes over a frozen lake or pond, And as he's running through this, all of a sudden he hears behind him that the ice cracked and the person chasing him fell through the ice. He immediately felt convicted. The gospel ran true in his life, and he realized that if he died, he knows where he's going. He's going to spend eternity forever with Jesus. But if that person who just fell doesn't know Christ, they're going to spend eternity separated from him in hell. And Dirk Willems stopped, and he went back, And he pulled this guy who was chasing him out of this icy body of water. Well, at that time, as he pulled him out, he ended up saving his life. The guards that were chasing him all caught up to him. So in saving this man's life, he gave up his own because they took him into custody. He went back to prison. And that May, on May 16th in 1569, he was burned at the stake because of his faith in Jesus Christ. I love this story because it's so much kind of how we think. Hopefully we'd live out our faith like that, but he first took things in his own hands. I'm going to escape. I'm going to run. And then the gospel caught him and said, wait a minute. Look at the bigger picture. Don't look at right here. And he realized that his life was not his own. And he realized that you can do whatever you want to my body here on earth because I live for another world. I live for another kingdom. You see, this gospel gives us access to live for another kingdom, for another world. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And this Dirk Willems saw that. He knew that. And he knew that he was supposed to live out his faith in front of anyone, no matter the cost, no compromise, no matter the ridicule, no matter the persecution. God knows all, and we live before him. So who? Anyone. Now let's look at what. What do we give an answer to? Look at verse 15 again. But in your hearts regard Christ as Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I love the fact that when Peter is writing about the story of the gospel, what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, he uses the analogy of hope. What are you supposed to do? What is it that we're talking about? We're talking about hope. We're talking about eternal hope. We're talking about the hope that pulls people out of hell and makes them new and sets them up to live forever in heaven. We have no idea in this world what kind of hope that is, but when we die and we look at the realities of hell, we're going to see even more clearly what Jesus Christ did to spare us and save us from that place. What a beautiful metaphor. We're supposed to share hope. 
And I'm sure this was so attractive to the Christians that Peter was writing to who were persecuted and had their life on the line. There probably wasn't a whole lot of hope because they're bombarded with the here and now. And Peter wanted to remind them that they live for something greater than what is here. And I'm sure this hit home with them. With them. They lived in a place where for Christians is getting worse by the minute. And in this process of being persecuted, Peter, as a good pastor, knew they needed hope. And he wanted to bring them the truth so that they would carry this hope in the midst of their persecution, that they would know the fact that it doesn't matter what happens in this life, I'm going to heaven, and this life is very, very temporary, and heaven is eternity forever. And when they carried that and they lived it and they were able to defend it and they knew it so well, it gave them this hope that they could walk around in the midst of persecution and people would look at them and say, what is up with you? How do you have this joy? How do you have this peace? There's something wrong with you. Do you know that you're in prison and you're getting ready to die? And they're able to say, you can do whatever you want with this outward shell. Because my life isn't over when I die in this earth. It's just the beginning. And I live for eternity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who've given our lives to him, we know where we'll spend eternity. You can do whatever you want to my body here. I know that I'll live forever because of Jesus, because I gave my life to him. So what are we supposed to give defense to? What is this hope? The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. I love the name of our church, Crossview Church, because it has gospel written all over it. We are living our lives in view of the cross. See, that's gospel. We should see the name of our church and remind who we are, that we are a gospel people, that the only hope we have in this world is because of what Jesus Christ did by coming to earth, going to the cross, dying, and resurrecting from the dead. We're a gospel people. There was a time where someone a long time ago left our church, and and the reason they gave is they said, you people talk about the gospel too much. You couldn't have given me a better compliment. Guilty as charged. I have one note to sing as a preacher, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope we have. It's the only thing that takes dead people and makes them alive. It's the only thing we have that can change our lives and change this world for eternity. We get caught up in so many other things. What about this question? What about that question? And what about this? And if, God is, if this happens in the world, why has God let that? And da, da, da. We need to be laser-focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is our only hope. It's our one note that we sing. We give them the gospel. We give them the Bible. That is where the power is. You see, we're not here defending a Christian culture. We're not here defending a way of life. We're not even defending Christian principles. We're not even defending a church. We are defending the only hope human beings have to get to heaven and be spared from hell. We defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are gospel people. And if you're a true disciple, You are a gospel person because you understand that that is where the power is and that is the only power we have. 
Today, one of the things I'm concerned about in the evangelical church as I look at it across the world is we've forgotten how to share the gospel. In fact, there's some that say we don't even have to share it anymore, that we just walk out the gospel in action but not with word. But the gospel by nature, yes, we walk it out with action, but the gospel by nature is something that has to be spoken so that people hear it. So how do we share the gospel in this world in an effective way, because sometimes we, we feel like if we share it, people are going to think we're, they're, we're one of those religious nuts and they're going to turn us off. They're not going to hear anything we have to say. I'm not going to go do that. That just feels awkward and weird. How do we deal with all of that? That's a bigger question that I can answer this morning, but I'm going to answer it Tuesday night. If you come back to Across Your Church Tuesday night at, at Tuesdays Across You, I'm going to look at how we share the gospel in today's world. How do we share our faith with someone who is an unbeliever? What's an effective way we do that? So if that's something that you've wondered, that's something you struggle with, I encourage you to come out this Tuesday and we will look at that together. This gospel is hope. So when, anytime, who, anyone, what, this hope, how? How do we share and defend the gospel? Look at verse 16. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. I've seen Christians really, really well prepared. They know the gospel backwards and forwards. They know all the verses to attach it. They know have, they have a really, really well prepared defense. But they act like jerks. And in doing so, their defense falls apart completely. You see, Peter knew that. Peter said, When you defend this, you have to be gentle and respectful because to not be is not going to work in this society. To defend the gospel without gentleness and respect will not work in 2020 in the society we live in, I guarantee you, because it did not work back in first century Rome when Peter wrote this. When we share and defend the gospel, we have to do it with gentleness and respect. And I love, if you look at this verse 16 it says yet do this with that word with in the original language is very unique because it means the manner with which you do the command which was to defend must be carried out in this way meaning if you're gonna come do the command if you're gonna prepare a defense you must do it by carrying out gentleness with respect we're called to live Guard, defend, and share the gospel. Do we do it in a harsh way? No. Do we do it in a brutal way? No. How do we do it? Gentleness and respect. You see, sometimes we think we have to make it happen for God. Jesus can defend himself. He doesn't need us to do that. We defend the gospel and let whatever happens, happens our role in defending this gospel to do it in a way that's marked with a gentleness and a respect. And that's number one when you're trying to figure out how to do this. You see, it's not enough just to know the truth and to know the gospel. In this day and age, it's not enough just to be right. You have to be right, but you have to be loving and kind and gentle and respectful, marked with reverence. Not just knowing the truth and being a godly gospel defender apart from love. When you look at this list, when do we fend to the gospel? Anytime. 
Who do we defend it to? Anyone. What do we defend? The hope, the gospel itself. Those first three, that's hard. That's really hard. But then you look at how? With gentleness and respect? That's really, really hard. You know why it's really, really hard? Because you and I live in a world today where just by holding to Christian convictions, we're the enemy. Just by holding to what we believe, we're the enemy. We're the enemy before we even open our mouth. But we still have to be gentle and respectful because the emperor isn't Lord, Jesus is. And the things we see in this world isn't ultimate reality. We live for heaven and eternity. But here's the deal. If we are not following the command this way, then we are not following the command. If you are not defending and holding the gospel with gentleness and respect, then you are not defending and holding the gospel. That tie with that word is what this emphasizes. That's why this is so absolutely critical, how you do this. We need to recognize that those disagreeing with us, those who consider us enemies because of our convictions, we need to realize they're made in the image of God. And they're apart from God just like we were apart from God. They're enemies of God just like we were enemies of God. And we need to remember at one time we were right there. So how we do this truly, truly matters. And if you want more on that, come out Tuesday. So now let's wrap this up by looking at why this is so important. Why are the stakes so high? Look at verse 18. I love this about Peter. I was talking to some of us on staff, and verse 18, I think, is one of my favorite verses because it so clearly articulates the gospel. I love the Apostle Paul in all his writings, but if the Apostle Paul was about to write what Peter had in his mind in verse 18, it'd take him four or five chapters. Peter, this fisherman, makes it concise. One verse Verse 18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous referring to Jesus for the unrighteous referring to you and me, that he, what is the purpose of the gospel? Might bring you to God. That he might bring you to God. You see, that's the point of the gospel to take people who are enemies of God, transform them, and bring them to God so that they might live. Jesus comes, and he sees us, and he sees the fact that we come to him with guilty hands. We come to him with guilty hearts. But because he lived the perfect life for us and then went to the cross, he took our guilt and our shame and our sin upon himself and paid the punishment that we was due us and God poured his wrath upon him and he died but then he rose from the dead and then when we come before him and we say God I want you in my life will you forgive me for my sin he takes his perfect righteousness and he wraps it around us like a robe blazing white that we no longer have to stand before God in our own goodness and our own righteousness and our own trying to do enough good things to get to heaven because they won't work. Now we stand before God in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is what makes Christianity Christianity. And we stand before him. He's able to present us for God and God now says, I will 
interact with you and be in relationship with you because when I look at you, I don't have to put you out because of your sin. I could embrace you because of the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ, because now that righteousness has been placed upon you. That's the gospel. Do you know that gospel? Are you aware of that gospel? You know the benefit of that gospel is? Not only eternity in heaven forever, but when you are in Christ, you stand before God the Father in Christ, deeply loved, completely forgiven, totally accepted, and fully pleasing. In Christ, when you stand before God, you are deeply loved, completely forgiven, totally accepted, and fully pleasing. Not because of what you have done and accomplished, but because of what Jesus has done and accomplished. And now he gives that to you. So you stand in this state. You're transformed. Let me tell you something. When you realize that you're standing before God the Father, deeply loved, completely forgiven, totally accepted, and fully pleasing, it changes your life. It makes you come alive. It makes you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know this gospel? If you're here and you say, yes, I know it. I, I asked Christ into my life. I wanted to be a, I want to be a follower of him. I remember when I did it. I remember I said, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. I repent of my sin. If that's you, are you living the gospel today? When those words of condemnation come running through your heads, are you able to say, no, I've been deeply loved, completely forgiven, totally accepted, and fully pleasing? Do you know the gospel as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you able to share it? Are you able to defend it? If not, get to that place. Know this gospel inside and out. And if you're here and you're hearing my voice and you have never, ever invited Jesus Christ into your life, you've never been made new. Don't let another day go by because you do not know when you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before a holy God, you do not want to be there with the only thing you have is the attempt of your goodness and righteousness to trying to do enough good things. It won't work. The only thing that will allow you to get to heaven is that if you're standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and the way you do that is you invite him in your life today. And you say, I repent of my sin. I turn from my wicked ways. I want to follow you. And I believe that you are the son of God who went to the cross to die for me. If you've never did that, if you've never done that, or you don't know if you've done that, then talk to somebody today before you leave. It's that critically important. Talk to me or Chris or Jen or Ryan or somebody who brought you or one of the elders don't leave here without knowing that and making sure you've done that. It's critically, critically important. May we be saturated in the gospel. May we understand and know the gospel. May we be people who are able to defend the gospel and may we be people who live it out day by day because this is the call of the true disciple. Let's pray. God, what a glorious gift. What an amazing gift this good news is.
God, this is the only thing that's going to change a broken world. And we know that because of your word and what you've said, and we've known that because we've seen it change broken lives. And so, God, I just ask that you would help us become saturated in your gospel, that we would be a people who have been, are known for knowing the gospel forwards, backwards, upside down, inside out, because it's the power to change lives, and it's an amazing gift. And God, I just want to ask right now, if there's anything in our hearts at Crossview Church that's resisting the gospel and the grace and the truth and the love you have, would you by your power tear that down? That we may understand fully who you are and what you've done. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.